0: so i'd like to move the conversation on to something we'd, we'd started to tiptoe around a little bit already and that is certainly been picking up at this meeting and at other meetings that there seems to be an, an impression from certainly some larger companies that they're having with as scott was discussing these different constructs that are coming through different molecular types different kinds of assays that um they would like to outsource some of that work to cro's but it's it's quite difficult to do so Mm -hmm. is that reality is it imagination and and if it is reality what i'd like to discuss a little bit is not just exposing it as a reality but what might the solutions be
1: Mm -hmm. well Uh, it's been the history of a cro to be a follower there is you know, you guys probably hear it all the time. Well, if you give us the work, we'll yep. buy the, we'll we'll make the capital investment. Um, so we're always just inherently followers. Um, but if there's an opportunity to market differentiate, there might be an appetite to invest. But even then, it's well researched, so it is still a following, or yeah. maybe you're trying to just sneak ahead a little bit.
2: I I mean, just taking it back a step, you talked about complex instrumentation. It always amazes us when we go out to a CRO and and instead of, say, seeing workstations and the like, we see people. A lot of CROs, even today, would sooner use a human to do things that are readily automated than invest in the automation equipment. So that's even at a lower level level than investing in high-res mass spec or other
3: state-of-the-art type approaches. Yeah, there's, there's little room for CROs to be speculative. Yeah. I <laughs> I don't consider them to be R&D environments at all. It's maybe applied research, but um, th- there, as Roger's saying, there's little room to be speculative. Yeah. But that said, it's a, it's a chicken and egg game. We need to be able to stand up there as experts in our field. And so there has to be some degree of investment in the future technologies and the future talent. Right,
4: that's why being at meetings like this at REB uh, and being engaged in the scientific community and knowing uh, what's happening is, re- is really important for the CROs to stay on top of the direction that the science is taking.
5: I mean, yep. in reality, our portfolio of any given company is quite fuzzy. Yep. You know, when's this novel construct coming? It's going to come, well, <laughs> you know, Project Tim <laughs> says it's in six months' time, but actually something happens. Sorry. The difficulty is, like, holistically, you know, we we only see the snapshot of our own business. I mean, I think, you know, high-res is coming, and there's, but it's when it comes, you know. It, it will come probably across the industry, not through one company. So that's the difficulty if you have quite a strong strategic relationship with some pharma companies and some CROs. I don't know whether, you know, there's enough push.
1: Well, even six months' visibility on a portfolio at least gives us a sense of what sort of R&D investment we can make, okay? It's all about, you know, the R&D and the return on that investment. It's not dissimilar from pharma, but it's a little bit more um, of a focus at a CRO setting Mm -hmm. Um, but if that visibility of, of a portfolio tells you that, hmm, yes, we probably, it is worth the investment and we can get that return fairly quickly, it's very little pushback to actually do an acquisition. Um, in fact, sometimes it's much easier to get a you know, CapEx uh, purchase in a CRO versus pharma because you've got an R&D budget to get set once. Our R&D budgets are on the fly. Uh, to to a certain extent, because if as an investment there's a visibility on a portfolio that will require an investment, we'll go ahead and, and make that investment rather rapidly, um, which is a little bit different sometimes from your your pharma R and D budgets. I
4: think, I think it's, uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know with some of these more complex methods, it's. Um, I would say it's not even so much the instrumentation and the capital investment as much as the training Mm -hmm. and staying on top of the science, that uh, that that is more challenging than purchasing a new equipment.
0: That's maybe something we'll revisit a little bit later in Mm -hmm. in the next one. Is,
4: Is there any possibility
0: of, with this capital investment kind of thing, any risk sharing with the farmer in any way? In, in In the way you have if you've got an ongoing relationship with the big farmer, um, is there any way you can share that risk of investing in that new capital equipment or laboratories
3: We've certainly worked around virtual production units where the 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 client will essentially have priority access to a given number of mass spectrometer instruments and that's that's worked in the the, in return there is a commitment to a certain volume of business and that and that has that has definitely worked for us there has to be some degree of flexibility up and down for that relationship to work in terms of those resources. So it can't be something which fluctuates on a monthly basis, but on an annual, multi-annual basis, you can you can you can make that work. Yeah,
4: I I think that's true, and we've certainly had relationships in the past um, such as that. I think that one of the nuances that gets wrapped into that for us is that if we're talking about a piece of capital that's going to be used uh, for multiple clients in a clinical regulated setting um, there's really no question the yep. capex flows and that's fine um, but if we have you know our, our three favorite partners and they each have our favorite box and it's mm-hmm. all in discovery we're going to wait a little while <laughs> to see how that that fleshes out um, unless some sort of a relationship can be uh, put in place a uh, monetary relationship uh, and just to get back to an, an earlier comment about automation um I, I think one of the interesting parts for me uh as being a, a CRO lead, is that um, I see a lot of clients doing things a lot of different ways. Okay. So for me to say I'm going to buy a robotic system to do X type of assay in X type of fashion is a commitment that I can't typically make because I have many masters. <coughs> and they're going to want uh, to have their, their each of their studies done in a very particular way, their assays done in a particular way. And we're perfectly fine with that. And so using clever bots placed in right places mm-hmm. with good staff is is a better, more fluid model to make sure that we keep all clients happy rather than a disregard for the utility of automation, but rather being able to spread it around mm-hmm. uh, in a way different than your, your laboratories who can commit to one process routinely.
2: I, I mean, what we've done in terms of sharing is we've shared technology with CROs to the point where you know they see how we're doing things we try to make a point that implementing this technology not just for our work but for other works of other clients will be beneficial will be beneficial to the CRO and try to drive acquisition and process change that way and we also have used that successfully at least on the discovery side, to drive prices down. Because we've done exercises where we've shared internal cost estimates of using such and such an approach for discovery work with CROs to make a case that, you know, we can do it using this way for this price. You should be able to at least be able to match this and uh, implement it in your organization.
6: Yeah, that's one of the great benefits of, of being a CRO is that we get to see all different ways of, of approaching problems and, and solving problems and, and implementing processes and, and learn from the from the whole pharmaceutical industry. And so um, we we learn through audits, we learn through collaborative interaction. We mentioned um, sharing scientists between between labs, and so you know we really. We really appreciate that, and and we definitely do try to leverage that.
1: Yeah, so access to um, hardware, in fact, is, I think, at the CRO level, instrument vendors approach us quite frequently about, would you like to try and demo Mm -hmm. a new piece of equipment? Because I know full well that a CRO, when you make an investment, it's not just one unit. You want redundancy. Mm -hmm. And so there is frequent opportunity to have access to that new piece of equipment, and perhaps even more so than a large farmer, right? Because there you might buy one unit, and that's what your capital uh, budget will allow. But having that access to demo something um, is actually quite useful. Uh, I know some of us, we do quite a lot of demoing. Um, (laughs) And then you're kind of looking at, well, then the vendor's coming to you saying, well, will you buy that a piece of equipment? Well, we haven't had the farmer approach us saying that they would like that. And so you kind of then go back into a waiting game. Uh, But there is access to that equipment.
5: Um, so do you think you, know, you could buy some equipment and then, you know, you say, well, we'd like to run your studies on this, this new mass spec and, right. you know, would you get the, oh, I'm not sure, you know, could you just run that on a, a triple?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Um, if, it, if it's obviously just a, a simple thing about more sensitivity or I can run it a little bit faster, that helps my efficiency and I think I can then offer a better price point that's not necessarily improving quality, but it might actually solve a question that you may not have been able to um, ask of us. Um, so again, you're always continuously evaluating um, hardware and you know looking at what may have benefit um, from a CRO to make a sort of a standalone purchase. It's all about efficiency uh, and then you know solving a sort of workflow blockage or something like that. It's not because a vendor has come to us and said, oh, do you have a new, you know, it's mm-hmm. not that. Yeah.
3: I mean, there is a, a some barriers to, to that aren't there roger oh, that, yeah. that you you buy one piece of equipment in a regulated lab and you've got no redundancy right. for it you've got to go through the validation process you've got to put your uh, training in place you might have to edit your sops so there are some barriers to mm-hmm. to taking everything and we find that we we don't have a lab of all different customized setups. There's a lot of standardization because with that comes the efficiencies of a a high-throughput laboratory.
4: So I have a question to the CRO. So, you know, there's lots of new technology and it's it's developing constantly. But sometimes, you know, we all want to to get our hands on the shiny new toys, not necessarily because they're gonna do a better job, but they're the new shiny new toys. Mm So when, when a farmer comes to a CRO and says, right, well, we've got this new shiny toy and we want you to have one of these shiny new toys as well, but you know that there's a suitable alternative mm-hmm. method that will work just as well, how often you know, are you making that as a suggestion and, and how often would you say farmers are open to you making that suggestion? Mm.
0: That's, a, well, fun question. The, the, that's <laughs> a very good question.
1: So from a biotechs don't know, The small companies, the virtual labs have no idea and they completely rely on us. When a large farmer comes to us and says, well, do you have this technology, right? This is what is a prerequisite to transfer the assay. It's a different, it's a different story. And I'm not going to say 100% of the time, but there's usually some pushback saying, well, we would want to facilitate the transfer and it was much better if you have identical equipment. And then you start looking at that R&D um, acquisition and you start, you know, all the equations around is there going to be that return on the investment? What's the visibility on the portfolio? Is this a one-and-done um, opportunity? So, yeah, it's it's not as straightforward. Mm-hmm.
6: And as mentioned previously, we're also looking across different pharma partners. Mm-hmm. And so if, um, if one company wants shiny toy a and and a different company wants shiny toy b and the third wants shiny toy c i mean we have to look at from a from a business Mm -hmm. perspective what we think will give us the greatest return on investment
2: So, so so i think to answer our question from our perspective we require our cros to generate a validation doc set in their lab for the assay that we're implementing if they're able to successfully validate the method on an alternative piece of equipment that they suggest, and we look it over and find it's acceptable, I, I don't see a lot of reluctance in uh, placing an assay under such conditions. Mm-hmm.